This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. We praise you, Jesus, at your birth. Clothed in flesh, you came to earth. The virgin bears a sinless boy, and all the angels sing for joy. Alleluia. The Christmas hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. I think the collect for this coming Sunday, which happens to be Christmas Day as well, the Nativity of Our Lord, says it all. Almighty God, grant that the birth of Your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, Christmas Day. This coming Sunday, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy will join us. We will review the movie Avatar with Pastor Ted Geese. It's been a long time coming for that sequel to the original, lots and lots of years. Pastor Hans Feeney will be with us then to make the case for... Christmas Day worship services. Sadly, that case needs to be made nowadays. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. You say that Christmas gives us the end of the story of grace from the beginning. What do you mean by that? When we think about Christmas, we think of the birth of Jesus being laid in the manger. That sounds like the beginning of the story of salvation. But in a certain sense, it is proclaiming to us the end of the story because what God desired was to be in communion with us in the first place. This is why he created us in his image and likeness, to be in communion with us and we with him. So here in the manger bed, as Mary gives birth to the Christ child, we see the end of the story, God in the flesh, in communion with us. In other words, communion with God in the flesh is what God always desired. And sometimes I think we think about Christ's birth and then his suffering and death upon the cross as an afterthought in the sense that God created us and then sent us on our way without sin in a state of innocence as if there's this distance even at creation between us and God And then, oh my, humanity fell into sin. Now what? Aha, I shall think of a new plan. I shall send my son to become incarnate in the womb of a virgin to bear the sin of the world, to take away that sin. And then it is reestablished, this state of innocence, but we're still distant from God. No, no, no. Christmas gives us the end of the story of grace from the beginning, the incarnation to be in communion with us and we with God is 
what God always desired. And when we speak in the gospel for this Christmas day, where the apostle and evangelist St. John talks about grace upon grace, the grace of God is revealed in creation as we are created in the image and likeness of the triune God of love to be in communion with God. But then this grace upon grace is seen in the atonement of Christ in the flesh. So we can see the love of God proclaimed according to the scriptures in creation, that he is motivated by his grace, his self-giving love to create us in his image and likeness. But then we see grace upon grace as in the incarnation of the Son of God, he not only becomes one with our flesh, but he does so to take our sin upon himself and to redeem us from the breach that separated us from having this eternal communion with God. So in the great hymn of Paul Gerhardt's, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is, we, we see this, you know, he whom the sea and wind obey doth come to serve the sinner in great meekness. Thou God's own son with us art one, dost join us and our children in our weakness. Thy light and grace, our guilt of face, thy heavenly riches, all our loss retrieving. Emmanuel, thy birth doth quell the power of hell and Satan's bold deceiving. Thou Christian heart, whoe'er thou art, be of good cheer and let no sorrow move thee. For God's own child in mercy mild joins thee to him how greatly God must love thee. So the grace and love of God that we see in the birth of the Son of God in human flesh, gives us in a very real sense the end of the story of grace from its beginning. And there in the enfleshment of the Son of God, we see what God always desired for us, communion with us and we with him. Talk a bit about the Christmas day, which will fall, of course, on a Sunday, which is why we're discussing it here, as the beginning of a short season for Christmas. It is a short season. In this season in general, you are proclaiming the word is made flesh. God is made man for us. Holy communion with God through the body and blood of his son for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with God is the theme for the entire season. And we did not mention the proper prefaces for, for Advent, but we should have. The proper prefaces are some of the most ancient texts, Todd, in all of the Western Church's liturgy. The Advent preface talks about John the Baptist preparing us to escape the wrath to be revealed when Christ comes again in glory. The preface for Christmas, so lovely, it is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, which sets up almost every preface. And then these words for Christmas. For in the mystery of the word made flesh, that phrase is taken from John 1, our gospel for Christmas Day. In the mystery of the word made flesh, you have given us a new revelation of your glory. And glory is spoken about in John chapter 1. And of course, in Luke 2, the glory of God shone around the shepherds and they were sore afraid. This new revelation speaks of the New Testament in not the blood of goats and lambs and sheep and oxen, but the blood of Christ, the new revelation of your glory, which is God's selfless, self-giving, sacrificial love. 
that seeing you in the person of your Son, we may know and love those things which are not seen. So Christmas actually anticipates the Christmas season, the Epiphany season. There is a very strong idea of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day as an epiphany, a revelation, a proclamation of who this child is, the divine word through whom all things were created, the Son of God in human flesh. So this communion with God in the flesh is taken to a new height of grace, grace upon grace, that's from the gospel, John chapter 1, in Jesus' birth, because to establish this communion with God, he must bear our sins in the flesh and suffer our death to reconcile us to the Father. And as I said, that's not an afterthought. It's what God always wanted to do. But we see the nature of God's self-giving love, which was there at creation. But we really see the nature of it, the full glory of it, if you will, in the atonement of Christ, which begins in his incarnation and then throughout his ministry, suffering and death and resurrection. Let's start with the collect for Christmas Day. The collect for the day. Almighty God, grant that the birth of your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free from the bondage of sin. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. To be set free from the slavery to sin is the end of Christ's work that was begun in his incarnation and birth. So I've got that. We see the end of the story at its beginning. Conception, birth, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension in the flesh of the Son of God to the Father's right hand is all part of the singular work of Christ to establish our communion with God, to reconcile us to the Father. So freedom, to be set free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. That's also in John's Gospel, chapter 8. So grant that the birth of your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free, envisions the totality of the work of Christ from conception through to his ascension on our behalf. In a very real sense, this collect, Todd, for Christmas Day is a summation of every collect that you might pray in the church year. For on this Sunday or feast day of Christmas, there is envisioned the totality of the saving work of Christ. The intro, it is a combination of Psalm 98 and Isaiah 6, no surprise there. How does it read? Yeah, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you know what I did? I, I'm, I couldn't help but read and slip into the old King James, for unto us a child is born, even though I'm, I have the text of the ESV translation before me. Unto us a child is born, we remember Handel's Messiah, for unto us a child is born. And I think I've had conversations with you in the past that chorus in Handel's Messiah emphasizes for us, for unto us a child is for unto us a child. And that's deliberate, I would argue. It's intentional on Handel's part. So in this antiphon, 
from Isaiah 9, 6, which is also the Old Testament reading, or portion of it from Christmas Eve, we see the for us theme. It gives the operative direction of the announcement of Christ's birth. And it's from the prophet Isaiah, for us, a child is born, for us, a son is given, the government, all rule and authority and dominion over all things rests upon his shoulder. So you see the end of the work at the beginning, that the government shall rest upon his shoulder, not simply earthly government, but all rule and authority in heaven and on earth rests upon him. So this envisions how he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death upon the cross, and therefore God the Father highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then Isaiah has all of those names. You know, what is the name of Jesus? What is it all about? Well, he's called Wonderful. He is called Counselor. He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. And how can the Son be called the Everlasting Father? Well, he is, as the gospel for Christmas Day proclaims, he's the source of the new birth from heaven, as we are born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it speaks of Jesus as our spiritual father through the divine word of grace, and he's the Prince of Peace. So, I mean, there's so much packed into this antiphon for the intro. And again, here, it's proclamation, isn't it? It's the epiphany in the Christmas season, anticipating the full revelation of who Jesus is and what he came to do in the epiphany season itself. Then it goes on to Psalm 98, verses 1 through 4. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Well, when you hear those words of Psalm 98, singing, I mean, you cannot escape how central singing is to the proclamation of the saving gospel of the incarnation, birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Singing is absolutely integral to the ministry of the church, our confession of faith in Christ, and our proclamation before the world. Because in the church's song, we proclaim our confidence in Christ. We proclaim the hope of eternal communion with him, the glorious confidence that we shall rise from the dead and enjoy an eternal communion with God without sin. So sing to the Lord a new song. And that new song, again, is always about the gospel of Christ, the New Testament in his blood. Not like the old song of the blood of sheep and lambs and goats and turtle doves and so forth, but the new song of his blood. So here again, we're seeing the end of the story at its beginning. And he has done marvelous things. And this is going to anticipate also what we find in the gradual for the day 
where the language of the Passover psalm, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A text that finds itself all over the church year applied to all of the great acts of salvation from Jesus' birth to his death, resurrection, and ascension. I think it's important to note also in the intro here that when it says the Lord's right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation, it's talking about Christ. The Son of God is the Father's right hand. The Son of God is his holy arm. When it speaks of his righteousness, we're talking about the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, and how that righteousness of Christ's self-giving sacrificial work on the cross is proclaimed in the gospel, so that's in the sight of the nations. This righteousness is revealed. And you think about the promises made to the patriarchs of old. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. He chose Israel, but for the benefit of all mankind, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So preaching and proclamation of the gospel is how salvation is made known to the ends of the earth and among all nations. And so we see it, don't we, in that proclamation when the church is preaching the gospel on Christmas Day and every other Sunday and feast day in the church year. So our song, Todd, very much is to become a witness to the nations of the salvation of the Son of God for all people. I think it's just... We cannot have Sunday, we cannot have singing, we certainly cannot have Christmas without singing. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, according to the one-year lectionary, when we return the Alleluia verse and the Gospel reading from John chapter 1. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Jesus walked with his disciples to Emmaus, they had lost hope. But he opened the scriptures, broke bread, and gave it to them, and they knew him. At Emmaus Lutheran Church in Redmond, Oregon, Jesus repeats this miracle every Sunday. He makes himself known among us in preaching and the sacrament of his body and turns our sorrow to joy. Join us for divine service Sundays at 9 and visit our website www.emmauslcms.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. 
Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Stanza 2, we praise you, Jesus, at your birth. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest at the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Bender, take us into the Alleluia verse. Yes, you know, in our discussions together, we're always building to the gospel for the day, which sets its tone. It's the gospel that governs how the intro is laid out the colic for the day, and the verse anticipates the gospel. It's an interesting verse because for Christmas Day, the main service with John 1, it is actually a liturgical text. It's not found in any one particular location in the scriptures, but certainly is biblical. Alleluia, a holy day has dawned upon us. Come, all you nations, and worship the Lord. A holy day has dawned. You think of the word of God as the only holy thing that we have. So a holy day has dawned because the divine word, the eternal logos, was made flesh to tabernacle, to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. So the call to the nations to worship the Lord is a call to receive him and believe in him. It's the call of the gospel that anticipates the gospel for the day from John 1. And in the gospel for the day in John 1, that this particular verse anticipates, the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed as the divine logos, the word who is the creator and source of life, not just for Israel, but for all people everywhere who have ever lived. Take us through the gospel reading. The gospel reading traditionally is John 1, 1 through 14, but I do find the addition of verses 15 through 18 in Lutheran service book helpful and significant. So I'm going to include those verses as well. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Todd, I'm going to pause in the reading to highlight some things along the way. In verse 1 of John's Gospel, one cannot help but think of Genesis 1. And that's what the evangelist St. John wants us to think about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the source of all things. Here, in this first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. So now you can see the identification, not only of divinity, but at least two of the three persons of the Godhead in verse 1. The word, God the Son, was with God, God the Father, and the word was also himself, God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him 
was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is profound, high theology. All things were made through him, namely the divine Logos, the eternal word of the Father, the Son. And without him, God the Son, the divine Logos, was not anything made that was made. That means all of creation, everything that was ever made, has its point of origin in the eternal word of the Father, the divine Son of God through whom all things were made. In him was life, John writes, L-I-F-E. And the life, which is the life of the Son of God, the divine Logos, was the light of men, all mankind. That's the, the Greek word, anthropoi there, all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Now, speaking of our world in which we now live because of the fall into sin, the light, which is Christ, now shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So look at Christmas, the glory of God, the light of the glory of the Son of God in his self-giving sacrificial love shone upon the shepherds, and they were sore afraid in the darkness of that Judean night as the light shone. And the darkness, the darkness of this world of sin and death has not overcome it. Then John goes on, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, namely the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So, in other words, John has come to bear witness to Christ, who is the light and the life of all mankind, that all might believe through him through John's testimony, that all who hear the testimony of the divine Logos, who is the light and the life of all mankind, might believe. He, that is John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Talk about names for the Son of God, our Savior, on Christmas. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. Here in John chapter 1, he is called the light eternal light, another name for Jesus. He is called the life. And in the book of Acts, you know, the apostles are bearing witness and testifying to the life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John came to bear witness to the light, which is what every Christian minister does. It is what the church does on Sunday morning. It is what we sing about. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, namely the divine Logos, who is the light and life of all mankind, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So here we're talking about all the world, all of humanity. Verse 11, he came to his own. Now this is not simply the Jews, but is referring in John's gospel here to all mankind, which God the Son created. He came to his own, and his own people, all mankind who received life from him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Reception is such a huge part of this festival of Christmas on Christmas Day, and indeed of the entire Christian life. And here in John's Gospel, the reception of life from the divine Logos, the eternal Son at creation, which we had no part in, all we could do was receive the life that he gave and created, is then linked to salvation and being born from above. That new life and that new salvation is also entirely a gift of God's grace. And this helps to explain what comes in a few short verses, grace upon grace. We had no contribution to our creation, nor do we have any contribution to our salvation and redemption. So verse 12 again, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, who were born children of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's verse 13. What a wonderful, beautiful description of baptismal regeneration, of the Holy Spirit's work to call us to faith in Christ. We're born from above. Jesus will speak of this again in John 3 with Nicodemus. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, unless you are born from heaven, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But this birth is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus or come to him. Nor is it of the will of man. It is a birth from God. What a glorious comfort that is. I am created by God entirely his work, and now I am redeemed, and I am brought to faith by God. It is entirely his work. Now verse 14, which is perhaps considered to be the climax of the gospel for Christmas Day. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 14, the English word dwelt really would be better translated tabernacle because the apostle and evangelist St. John wants us to see the connection between the Old Testament tabernacle as the place of God's saving presence with now the birth of the Son of God in the flesh as the new and better location of God's saving presence. He has dwelt or tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory Think of the glory of God and the glory cloud, the presence of Yahweh in the Old Testament above the mercy seat at the tabernacle between the cherubim. This glory is of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth is what we see in the babe that lies in the manger. Then verses 15 through 18, the addendum, if you will, to this Christmas Day gospel. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Speaking of the eternal Logos, the eternal Son of God. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. There's that lovely reference, the grace of creation, the grace of the new creation, the grace of the incarnation, and the salvation that is found in Christ, where everything comes from him. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, which doesn't set the law in opposition to 
the birth and the work of Christ, but rather as its fulfillment, continuation, and greater expression. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, or the only begotten God, or the only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, or perhaps more literally at the Father's chest, from his heart of love, he has made him known. This is the gospel for Christmas Day, and what a most marvelous gospel it is. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He is director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Christmas Day this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll be getting a summary of what the gospel had to say after this. Thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Normal, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Rogue River, Oregon. Gloria Day Lutheran, Escondido, California. Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, Peekskill, New York. Lord of Life Lutheran, Chesterfield, Missouri. Redeemer Lutheran, Gresham, Oregon. St. John Lutheran, Fredonia, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Hancock, Maryland. Trinity Lutheran, Millstadt, Illinois. And Zion Lutheran, Owego, New York. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Oh. 
The Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the third stanza of the Christmas hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, according to the one-year lectionary, with Pastor Peter Bender. Speaking of Christmas, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month is an Archbooks Treasury Christmas collection, and it contains 12 of those Archbooks from CPH's past. They're written for children ages 5 through 9. This collection is a great gift for a child, godchild, or grandchild you know. Order it at Concordia Publishing House by giving them a call, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Look for Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection. Pastor Bender, you went through the gospel reading verse by verse there before the break. How would you summarize everything you found? Well, this this gospel, you know, it is just so rich. And I would say this, the word, the logos in the Greek, is the name of the Son of God from eternity. The logos is distinguished from the written or spoken word of God, Todd, because the logos is a person, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Yet the name logos, word, instructs us that the creation of all things by the Father and the life which we all possess from God the Father is a life and existence that the divine Logos, Word, God the Son, creates and imparts to us through the Word of God that is spoken and then written in the Scriptures. So we distinguish the divine Logos, the eternal Son, the person, second person of the Trinity, from the Scriptures, yet there is an entirely inseparable connection. Secondly, I would say there is this inseparable connection between the divine and eternal logos of the Father, the Son of God through whom all things were made, and the inscripturated and spoken word of God by which we come to know the Son of God as our Creator, Lord, and Redeemer must also be accented. So Creator, Lord, Redeemer all come together here in John's catechesis. Number three, in him was life, the life of Christ, the divine logos, or the divine word, and that life, the life of Christ, the divine logos, the divine word, is the light of all mankind. Number four, therefore, we cannot know or see rightly about anything in all of creation or of our own being or person as human beings or our relationship in this world to one another in marriage, in family, in community. We cannot know it rightly apart from him, Christ, the divine Logos, who is the life and the light of the world. Number five, anything and everything apart from Christ, the divine Logos, is darkness and therefore separation from God, which results in death. Number six, the word, the divine and eternal Logos, became flesh and tabernacled among us, and this is the glory of God that we see Jesus in Jesus, in flesh love, in the person of the eternal Son of the Father, in fleshed love, incarnate love, through whom we have fellowship with God and he with us. Number seven, eternal self-giving sacrificial love is at the heart of the incarnation of the Son of God. And that clearly comes out in this gospel for Christmas Day. And finally, number eight, I would say, to be in communion with us is not an afterthought with God, but that which he willed and desired for us, with him, in self-giving love for us before the foundation of the world. And the divine Logos is the 
fountain and source of this eternal life and communion. How does the Old Testament reading from Exodus 40 read for us on Sunday? The Old Testament reading, Exodus 40, 17 through 21, and then 34 through 38, is connected directly to John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, because it is the Torah's instruction on the erecting of the tabernacle. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle, he laid its bases, and set up its frames, and put in its poles, and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle, and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony, and put it into the ark, and put the poles on the ark, and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, and set up the veil of the screen, and screened the ark of the testimony, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. So, a couple of points here, Todd. The Old Testament tabernacle was the location, as we said earlier, of the Lord's saving presence among his people, where they received, that's that verb I want to emphasize again, they received his grace and forgiveness there in view of the Christ who was to come, but nonetheless, they received his grace and forgiveness there. Number two, the physicality of the Old Testament tabernacle. I don't think that can be overemphasized, and it's spelled out in great detail here. And it corresponds to the physicality, if you will, of the Son of God, the divine Logos in human flesh. Now, not behind tent curtains, but laid in the manger bed and feasted upon in the sacrament of the altar. Number three, the glory of the Lord that filled the tabernacle above the mercy seat and between the cherubim in the Old Testament is the same glory of God's self-giving love that shone upon the shepherds when the angel of the Lord announced Christ's birth. And it's the glory of that self-giving, sacrificial love, which is God's by nature. Then the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, who comes to us in his preached word and holy sacraments, is the physical location of the Lord's saving presence among us today. I know in our congregation, often on Christmas Day, after this reading, we will sometimes substitute for the gradual of the day the hymn, The Infant Priest Was Holy Born, because it's LSB 624, and it links together so beautifully this Old Testament reading with the gospel for the day, and then the Lord's Supper, showing the unity of the scriptural revelation from the Old Testament worship life to the worship life in the New Testament in Christ's body and blood. What do we find in the gradual? The gradual for the day. Psalm 118, 26a, 27a, and 23, that's the Passover psalm. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So here again, the end, we see the end at the beginning. The conception, birth, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord in the flesh is linked together as one marvelous day of the Lord's doing by the use of this Passover text from Psalm 118. And we hear that text throughout the church here, Advent 1, Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Easter. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And now we hear it on Christmas morning. So that should bring to the hearer's ears and mind the understanding that the work of salvation is all one grand tapestry. So it teaches us that these events of salvation are not linear chain of disconnected happenings, but one grand act of God's grace and salvation in the eternal word of the Father by whom all things were made. The epistle is next on the list with Pastor Peter Bender as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, looking forward to Christmas Day. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Solid, serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal, yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash lutheracademy.
stanza four of We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. We're looking forward to Christmas Day according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. This brings us to the epistle in Titus chapter three. What do we find there, Peter? When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So several points on this very short epistle, but very rich epistle, and it should be familiar to all of us who know the catechism, certainly, as it's used by Luther in his explanation under baptism, how can water do such great things? But Christmas manifests the appearing of the goodness and kindness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin and laid in the manger. So finally, those promises that were proclaimed and then written in the scriptures are made manifest as the babe is born. The appearance is made known now today through preaching and the sacraments. You and I weren't there with the shepherds to see the infant Christ laid in a manger, but the infant Christ laid in the manger comes to us now through preaching and through the sacraments, just as wonderfully as he came to the shepherds and to Mary and Joseph. And so the appearance is made known through preaching and sacraments. And this text clearly emphasizes, again, reception over against our own works. Here's the gift. You know, we think about Christmas as the Father giving us his Son. And it's pure gift of God's grace, grace upon grace. So it is a catechetical homily on our baptism into Christ by the divine name of the Holy Trinity. So God the Father pours out his Holy Spirit on us in baptism through his Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. So this text means that in our baptism, we receive everything that is the divine Logos, everything that is Jesus. We receive the conception, the birth, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of the divine Logos, the Son of God, as our very own. Here again, intro it, for us, for us a child is born. For us, a son is given. So nothing is withheld and everything is given. And Christmas is all about, in broken, humble, contrite hearts, receiving Christ in the flesh, who is our creator and our redeemer and our savior and the one through whom we enjoy eternal communion with God. So how would you summarize both this coming Sunday and the festival that it is in terms of law and gospel? I'd like to talk about our malady to which the law must be addressed, as well as the unique gospel for the day. I would say three points under our malady. Number one, we don't want to receive. Since the fall into sin, what the devil tempted us to is to be our own God, to be our own Savior, to be our own spiritual masters. We don't want to receive. We want to do. We want to rely upon our own piety. We want to rely upon our own worthiness. We want to rely upon our own work. We want to work our way into God's favor. We want to make ourselves pleasing to God. We don't want to receive. 
And I think that has to be attacked in the preaching of the law. Gently, but firmly. And to see the contrast that God really does want us to receive his only begotten son. Number two, we see God as separate from us. And we as separate from him. As if there is always a distance that this chasm must be breached somehow by our own doing. And that's why I say it's so important that we highlight how communion with us is something God always desired, even before the fall into sin. And rather than seeing us being created to be distant from God, we were created to be in communion with God. Number three, we resist the notion that everything we need for our life and salvation is found in Christ, everything, who has joined himself to our flesh and blood to reconcile us to God. He withholds nothing, and he gives us, in the reception of his Son, incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, laid in the manger bed, crucified under Pontius Pilate, risen again in glory, and seated at the right hand of God the Father, he gives us everything and withholds no good gift. And this leads us into the unique gospel for Christmas Day. Number one, the creation of all things by the divine Logos, the eternal word of the Father, teaches us that salvation from our sinful rebellion must also rest entirely in our Lord's work of salvation for us. What a comfort this is, not in me, it rests in him. Number two, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection itself gives us the birth from above. The gospel gives us this new birth. The gospel invites us to believe. The gospel creates the miracle of faith. The gospel bestows every gift of God's grace in Christ. So let us on this Sunday not talk about the gospel, but let us preach the gospel. So when the angel of the Lord says to the shepherds, do not be afraid, there is born to you, there is born to you, Todd, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Number three, it is the Lord who has established communion with us for our redemption by becoming one with our flesh and blood, assuming all our sin and human frailty in his flesh, and by living and dying and rising for us that we might live life in him. For us, we live in him. Number four, there is no separation between us and God because of our sin. All that we are, he receives. All that he is, we receive. This is what Luther calls the blessed or happy exchange. You see how the breach, the chasm, is brought about, done away with through the reconciliation brought about by Christ. Number five, the Son of God in the flesh is the location of God's saving presence for every sinner. Because this flesh is the life of our Creator and our Redeemer. He created us. He bore our sin. He died for us. He rose from the dead. He ascended for us to the Father's right hand. He reconciled us to eternal communion with God. And finally, number six, the incarnation and birth of the Son of God proclaims God's grace and love for every sinner. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's also director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., 
We'll be reviewing the movie Avatar, The Way of Water. Pastor Ted Geese will be our guest. And then Pastor Hans Feeney of Lutheran Satire will be alongside. He's written recently, making the case for going to church on Sunday, even when that Sunday is Christmas Day. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. If you plan on doing some online Christmas shopping with Amazon, you can also help support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Just go to smile.amazon.com, sign into your Amazon account, enter Lutheran Public Radio into the charitable organization search field, and click Select. A percentage of your purchase will be donated to Issues Etc. Smile.amazon.com and choose Lutheran Public Radio. Thanks for your support.